And we realize that the most important commodity we add in life is not money, it's time. Yeah. And time was going to be fleeting with this little life. So we started to strategize how we could craft a life that was going to give us the freedom to maximize time with family and time following our passions. And so real quickly, just like millions and millions of your followers, the bigger pockets people and the fire people, what's the best way? Real estate. Mm. Because what's the two classes of people that have always ruled the world? Bankers and landowners. Welcome to Invest for the Win, where we discuss strategies to win at the game of private investing. Whether you're a novice or a seasoned investor, tune in to hear experts break down complex topics and reveal emerging trends in private investing. Head over to investforthewin.com to find links to these episodes and additional content. Position yourself to invest for the win. Hosted by the founders of FTW Investments, Logan Freeman, Corey Tuck, and Parker Webb. On today's episode, we have Dave Foster, who is a qualified intermediary, and we speak all about 1031 exchanges, the ins, the outs, all the different opportunities that 1031 exchanges can provide. There's just so many different golden nuggets in this episode that I think you're going to find so much value in, and it really affects everybody. And, And there's a couple scenarios that even your everyday person who just owns their single family residence that they live in can utilize 1031 exchanges. So make sure to check out the full episode. Dave is a wealth of knowledge and it was a pleasure having him on the show today. Welcome back to another Invest for the Win show. You know, our goal on the podcast is to provide unique insights into the private investment world, mostly in commercial real estate, by using our own experience navigating transactions in today's ever-changing marketplace, but as well as diving into stories and perspectives of experts in private investing and private business operations. And today, I have a longtime friend and vendor, uh, Dave Foster. And I'm super excited to have Dave on. If you are in the space of 1031 exchanges and or just investing in real estate and you've been on bigger pockets, you definitely know who Dave Foster is. But I'll give you a quick background. Dave, is a qualified intermediary. And if that's a big word or a big term, we'll definitely break that down later in the show. He's an investment professional who understands that real estate is really an investment in your future. As a multi-industry visionary, he has 20 years of experience working in all phases of real estate investing. And if you've been following me for any time, I always put myself around individuals who have been doing this longer than I have so I can learn from that. Something I speak about quite often when I'm on other people's podcasts is how do you shorten the learning curve? Well, this is it right here. You know, as an investor himself, Dave views each investment, whether historical, ecologically sensitive projects, fix and flips, rental portfolios, vacation and resort property development management as a unique opportunity to maximize returns. He's a degreed accountant, which is important with a master's in management. Dave built his reputation on building a driven results oriented qualified intermediary who works relentlessly to optimize value for the real estate investor with whom he works with. He is inspired by a genuine desire to help investors excel, and he continually strives to create win-win situations. Dave, I have on here that you recently launched the 1031investor.com to give investors instant access to the information they need to succeed with 1031 exchanges. And I know you do a ton of educational webinars, 
and put out a lot of content around this. So we're very excited to have you on. Thank you for being here today, Dave. And I do want to ask you the first question. Since you are a multi-industry visionary, you know, what was the point in your life when you decided to make that change or, you know, that point, maybe it was somebody that led you on your current path that you're on right now? Yeah. Well, Logan, thanks so much for having me. It's awesome to be here. My gosh, I got tired listening to my bio. See, <laughs> you and I, and this actually really is kind of a microcosm of a person's individual journey. You mentioned, and I loved how you said it, that you try to surround yourself with people more experienced than you so that you can learn from them. I, my friend, had that the exact opposite. I'm trying to find the young doctor so he doesn't retire before <laughs> I die. That's, <laughs> that's the ebb and flow of life. But uh, oh, that sure is awesome to be here. Yeah, you know what? I can actually pinpoint to the minute. Um, the moment when I knew exactly what I was supposed to do the rest of my life and how to do it. And it was a visit to my accountant because never do your own taxes, even if you're an accountant. <laughs> never be your own client if you're an attorney. So it was a visit with my accountant in Denver, 1995. I had just bought that year. My wife and I, well, actually, let me back up. The seminal event for us was that we had our first child. Mm. And oh my gosh, that changed the world. Yeah. We were in two kind of pressure cooker careers and we got this little baby. And so the first thing we did was throw away the TV because you don't need any entertainment other than that little child. That's true. And we realized that the most important commodity we had in life is not money, it's time. Yeah. And time was going to be fleeting with this little life. So we started to strategize how we could craft a life that was going to give us the freedom to maximize time with family and time following our passions. And so real quickly, just like millions and millions of your followers, the bigger pockets people and the fire people, what's the best way? Real estate. Mm. Because what's the two classes of people that have always ruled the world? Bankers and landowners. Right. So we said, great, man, we're going to go become real estate um, investors and rock the world. So I bought a duplex. I fixed it up. I sold it. I was on top of it. This is awesome. And then that afternoon, I sat down with Turbo Andy, my accountant. And his words were, boy, have you got a tax hit coming? Mm -hmm. And it was right at that moment that I realized that you and I and everybody that are real estate investors has a silent partner. And his name is Uncle Sam. Yeah. If you're not careful, Uncle Sam's going to make more money than you. So that just really threw our whole paradigm out the window until gazing through some of my materials that, you know, and, and journals and stuff, I realized that there was a huge court case that had been settled between the Internal Revenue Service and a man by the name of Starker mm -hmm. over this thing called a 1031 exchange. And up until that moment in time, the 1031 exchange had been used basically for large landowners who are going to swap farms or swap equipment, that kind of thing. And it was done basically for much, much larger assets. Over 20 years, Starker fought the commission over the way he did it, and he won. Nobody beats the IRS. Right. He did. 
And so all of a sudden, at that point in time, people like you and me who own one rental property or are just getting started or don't have deep pockets could now sell investment real estate and replace that buying new investment real estate and get to indefinitely defer paying the tax on your profit and depreciation recapture, which is a huge tax write-off. The ability to do that is monster. And when I saw that, I said, that's it. This is what I want to do. So way back then, that's what we started doing for others. That's what we started doing for ourselves. And between that and the conversions and sales of our primary residences, we moved a portfolio from Denver, Colorado to Stanford, Connecticut, to Florida, ended up buying a sailboat with tax-free money and lived on it, raising our four sons for 10 years, living off of a real estate portfolio and never paying a penny in capital gains tax. Wow. What an incredible story. You know, I, I it's, and I've heard many, many, not similar stories, but the uh, end goal being the same, right. And, and being able to defer taxes and utilize the 1031 exchange for your benefit. And I, you know, frankly, believe it to be one of the most powerful tools when used correctly with the right expectations for real estate investors. And I have helped hundreds of 1031 exchange investors that have sold property in California, or let's just say Arizona, or maybe up in the Northeast, and they sold a duplex or even a single family home that they did convert to a rental into a 10, 12, 25 unit property in the Midwest, creating cash flow. And one thing that we always talk about is return on equity. And so when I have these conversations with these investors, you know, they have $400,000, $500,000 worth of equity in a property in one of these states, and they have somebody paying them, you know, $3,500 a month. And you do the calculation and it's mind boggling when you can unlock that equity to actually be paying you um, exponential returns when utilized the right way. Now, lots of nuances, and that's not what we're going to get into today about strategy and portfolio allocation and how to do it. But just know that if you are purchasing real estate, to understand the 1031 exchange is extremely fundamental to your success and building your own portfolio. Because in our business, in the private equity world, yes, they are used and we do utilize them. But when you start having 15, 20, 50 different people involved in a transaction, you know, it, it's much more complex to do a 1031 exchange at that point than if it was your own portfolio. And so I've long thought with my two young children, if the timing was right and the market was right to go purchase a, even just a rental home or a duplex or something like that and let the cash flow pay down the debt because they don't need that right now. And when the time is right, be able to do a 1031 exchange instead of maybe doing a, what is it, a 529 plan or something like that. And a buddy of mine on LinkedIn, Mark Kuhn, just did this for his daughter, bought her a fourplex. And uh, it's a pretty cool concept and something that I think that people should definitely uh, explore more in detail. And so excited to have you on to talk more about some of the, you know, delicacies around these because you got to do it right. But maybe just from from a just a, a rudimentary standpoint, if somebody does own a property and they are looking to sell it 
or maybe they're making their first investment and they want to understand the mechanics of it. Can you just break down just the, the fundamentals of a 1031 exchange? That way we give some value early on in the episode here. If somebody wants to tune off, they totally can, but at least you get uh, the, the understanding of what a 1031 exchange is. Right. Well, you know what, in essence, as you were talking, I, it really just occurs to me that the 1031 exchange is nothing more than an advanced exercise in using OPM mm. to grow your portfolio. And OPM, of course, stands for other people's money. Sure. In this case, it's the government's money. Mm. Because if you buy a property for 100000 you hang on to it for a few years, and now it's worth $200,000. That equity that you talk about that's trapped in there, that $100,000 is at least 20000 of that's going to be the government's from tax. But what if instead of having to let them walk away with their money, you were able to use that 20000 to buy more real estate? Hmm. That's the leverage that the 1031 exchange gives you. And we actually do an example where we take two investors with that exact number. They each make $100,000 on a piece of property. So the tax would be $20,000, depending on what state they live in. In California, by the way, since you mentioned it, that would actually be almost $40,000. Yikes. So what investor is going to do the 1031 exchange? Which means that they have all $100,000 available to go buy a property. What can they buy with 20% down? $500,000 property. Investor B is going to pay the tax. So they don't owe any tax, but they only have $80,000. And at 20% loan to value, they can only buy a $400,000 property. Mm -hmm. So that's what happens to you. Now, if you fast forward five years, that becomes a million-dollar property for investor A and an $800,000 property for investor B. You go 10 years, it's 3 million and 2 million. And after 20 years, four transactions. One of them is probably going to be an apartment complex, like what you're dealing with. Four transactions, 20 years. The investor that simply used the government's tax in a 1031 exchange is going to own $12 million in real estate. Mm. The investor that pays the tax and doesn't know anything is going to own about three and a half million. That's the power of using OPM. That's the power of using the deferred tax. It's such, as you said, it's such a powerful tool. The key, of course, is that you've got to keep it going because the power of compound interest is going as long as you can. Now, that being said, every day that you and I get to use all of our money is an extra day that we get to make some money. Mm-hmm. But the power of the 1031 is going through your lifetime. So someone like you who's young and you've got kids, you're starting to think about their college future instead of a 529, go buy a property right now that's earmarked for them. Start paying the note down. Start generating the rent. When they decide where they want to go to college, where do you want them to go to college, by the way, Logan? Notre Dame. Okay. He's a Notre Dame guy. That was a safe answer because I grew <laughs> up 100 miles to the west of you. And if your answer had anything to do with blue and red, we were not going to be friends anymore. I'm a wildcat all day long. There we go. All right. So when she decides she's ready to go to Notre Dame, you're going to sell that investment property 
enter into a 1031 exchange and take all of the equity and go buy what we call a kitty condo. Mm. It's a property that she's going to live in and she's going to rent out rooms to three or four roommates. That's a start in learning how to run your own business. It's free housing while you're in college. It's actually a way to make money. And then what are you going to do when she graduates? She's going to find a job somewhere away from South Bend. Hopefully it's back in Kansas City, right? Yeah, exactly. So she comes back to Kansas City and you sell your condo or your house, whatever it is, in South Bend. Do a 1031 exchange. And now you're going to buy a duplex or a quad. And while she gets started, she's going to live in one. She's going to rent the other three out. And then when she's able to afford her first house, she's going to move out. She's going to backfill. And she now is the proud owner of a multi-unit property. All because you had the foresight 10 years prior to that to get started yeah. and use the 1031 exchange. Dude, it works every yeah. time. So powerful. Those are some incredible benefits and hits right at home, right? As, as we continue to have more and more children and and thinking about that, but also, so yes, there's the financial impact of that. But one thing I want to key in on is what you mentioned is it's ownership. It's running a business. It's living rent-free basically. And, you know, while you're at college, it's all of these different things that can, you can bring different principles in and help to continue to learn. I'm starting to do projects with my kids and being able to have a rental home. And, and we go over, if somebody moves out and have to fix it up or whatever, we're limited in our ability, but we've got plenty of help that we can we can kind of tap into, but just being able to say, this is ours, this is mine. And I need to work on it and understand the business mechanism about that is, is a really great way uh, to really create the rich dad, poor dad type of mentality early on in children. So very, very cool exercise there. And, you know, I, yeah, sorry. Did you have something to, to well, add? I was, just gonna, I was gonna laugh because I actually went out to my tool shed the other day, looking for something special. I opened up a drawer and I had like 16 hammers. Yeah. Why do I have all these hammers? And then I realized it's because when all these kids were eight and nine years old, they each got their own hammer to demo walls with. Exactly. Yeah. That's so fun. Yeah. Really cool. Um, Okay. So we've talked about some of the benefits. Let's talk about some of the risks or things that you need to be thinking about to make sure that you set these up the right way from, you know, from a tax, you know, standpoint and, and maybe some of the downsides, if somebody's thinking about, you know, a 1031 exchange and, I say downsides. I mean, you know, it's a, it doesn't fit everybody's specific goal and no, no investment vehicle does, but let's just talk through some of those so people understand the other side of the, the risk spectrum, so to speak. Yeah, well, the IRS is very specific in how these have to be done. And of course, as you can imagine, in 1995, they were pretty ticked off. I mean, they just lost. That's dumb. Yeah. So they had to let us do 1031s but they didn't have to make it easy and they certainly didn't have to market it. Mm-hmm. So that's why even today they're kind of seen in a lot of areas. People say, you know, what's that hoodoo voodoo thing yeah. called the 1031? No, it's very, very real. And it's one of the oldest parts of the tax code, but the IRS isn't going to advertise it or make it easy for you. So very, very specific. There's timing requirements that you have to be met. There's valuation and reinvestment requirements. The titling 
is very specific. But all of that kind of fades into the background because of the first requirement, which is you can't DIY. You have to use the services of what's called a qualified intermediary. And they have to be in place prior to the closing of the sale of your old property. You want to think of the 1031 kind of reverse from what normally you sell first and then you buy. That's the 1031. You don't buy and then sell. Sell and then buy. And you have to have a QI in place. That's someone like us. And we can only do your 1031. So we're kind of this quiet little niche industry that you have to stumble upon. But you have to use this if you want to do the 1031 exchange. Right. So because of that, though, once you understand that, the QI is who's going to guide you through everything else. They're going to work with you through the timing issues, through the titling issues. So that's really the most important cog. Once you get that, everything else becomes pretty doable. And what you're going to do, like I said, is, is as long as you, so there's four Ds to 1031 investing. The first D would be defer. Hmm. Because anytime you've got that first property that's got equity in it, or that you have depreciated, which means you've taken a lot of the tax benefit from it, you could do a 1031 exchange and you'll get to indefinitely defer that. And every time in the future, as long as you continue to 1031, you'll continue to defer the tax, which means it's working for you. So it's not for adrenaline junkies because it's for property that you intend to hold for productive use. So you and I both have a streak of pirate in us and fix and flipperness, and we like that. I mean, I just don't love it. Sometimes I got to tear down a wall and see what I can do and fix it and sell it. That's not going to qualify for a 1031. 1031's for property that you intend to hold. So if you're depending on cash flow from a flipping business, that's probably not going to work mm-hmm. without some extra steps. If you just like the adrenaline, you don't like to be a landlord, you don't like to hold properties, it's probably not going to work for you without some machinations. But in each of those cases, there's still opportunities. Like, I don't know about you, but I don't want to manage properties the rest of my life. Right. But I do want to do 1031 exchanges. So what am I going to do? Hire management. Or buy into 1031 opportunities where there's on-site management. Or, or manage other owners that I'm partners with that are doing the management. Those kinds sure. of things. Or if I'm a fix and flipper, I think one of the biggest joys in my life is being able to flip that model for some investors to the point now where I've got some guys who are doing regularly 20 to 30 exchanges a year. Every one of them on properties that they've owned for more than a year. And in their heart of hearts, they're cowboys. They're fix and flipper cowboys, but they're buying properties with a different mindset. But they started out needing money. So what did they do? This is awesome, Logan. They buy a property. Well, you're familiar with the Burr concept, right? Yeah, yeah. They buy a property, rehab it, rent it, refinance it, and then repeat it. Mm -hmm. So to make this work with 1031 and a fix and flip, do that. Buy it, rehab it. There's your fix. But instead of selling it, you rent it, and then you refinance. And take the refinance money to go buy your next property. 
Right. Or if you're depending on cash flow to live, take the refinance money and use that to fund your life. Mm-hmm. Because that way, when that property has been owned for, most people are comfortable with a year, then you can sell it and do a 1031 exchange. But what are you going to do? You're going to sell it. And instead of buying one replacement property, go buy two. Use the proceeds any way you want. And now what are you doing? You're just leveraging your portfolio. Mm-hmm. And that's how these guys have grown their kingdom to that much. Yeah. So what are the four Ds? Remind us what the four Ds oh, are. The second D. So the first D was defer. Yeah. The second D is defer. And this is cool because of something you said earlier when you talked about people selling in the Northeast, California, or Phoenix. One thing that all those places have in common, and I know you know it, is that they are all appreciation-heavy states. Right. Cash flow is basically non-existent. So what happens when the cycle of a real estate cycle starts to stall out in a certain area? You're no longer getting the appreciation in California and you're not getting cash flow. What are you going to do? Well, you can wait till it comes back or 1031 exchange, sell in California and buy in Kansas City where the curve of cash flow is still going up. Mm-hmm. When things start to appreciate back in California again, sell Kansas City, go buy back in California. Right. So that second D is that you can move your portfolio anywhere you want. And you also talked about multifamily. You can do a 1031 exchange from any type of investment property to any other type. So you go from single family rental to multi, from multi to commercial, from commercial to triple net commercial. That's more passive. Yeah. Up to vacation rental. I mean, the sky's the limit. But the key is that anytime you do that, defer the tax. Every day the tax is in your pocket is a day you're making money. So what do you think the third D is? Oh, man. So we got defer, defer. And um, I'm going to either say direct or decide. Oh, go out on a limb. It's defer. (laughs) Because not only is it possible to move your portfolio anywhere you want, but you can also start to prepare for retirement. Mm. Maybe you're wanting to retire in Florida and you're the kind of person that wants your portfolio near you. So ahead of retirement, you start the 1031 exchange, your portfolio from Cincinnati to Florida. So that your last move as you sell your property and see your home in Cincinnati is to come on down where your rental portfolio is waiting for you. Pretty awesome, right? Mm-hmm. But let me make it a little bit better. Remember I talked about primary residence and how we used that several times? Yeah. The rules for your primary residence are very different. All you have to do is buy a property and move into it. And once you have lived in it for two out of the five years prior to selling it, you'll get to take as a single individual the first $250,000 of profit tax-free. Right. It's $500,000 if you're married. And you can do that once every two years. So when you sell Cincinnati, you don't have to buy another house. That money's tax-free. 
-hmm. Now, you can use that to go buy a house down at Pensacola near your portfolio. That's fine. But because we're deferring, 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 you can also convert periodically one of your properties that are rentals into your primary residence. And then once you've owned them long enough, you can sell them and you will get to, because it's a conversion, you don't get to take all the gain, but you get to take a proration of the profit tax-free. Real world example, I've got a realtor in St. Pete Beach that did a 1031 exchanges into three identical beachfront condos on St. Pete Beach. They're even on the same floor because he loves the building. He retired, he moved into the first one. Now it's no longer investment, right? But it doesn't generate a tax event because he didn't sell it. Once he's owned it for five years, once he's lived in it for two, he'll sell that at some point in time and he'll get to take a proration of the gain tax-free. I mean, come on, it's not totally tax-free, but that's not a bad retirement gig, is it? Right. Right. I mean, if I'm going to deliver pizzas for Domino's, I'm going to pay taxes on that anyways. So why not make my retirement job converting my rentals into my primary residences Interesting. Yeah. and live in there? And where's he going to move when he sells that one? Into the next one. Until finally he has none left. Yeah. And so that's his reverse way out to get a bunch of that tax-free. So there's our three Ds. So throughout your lifetime, defer, defer, defer. I'm not even going to tease you with the fourth D. But it's <laughs> not defer. <laughs> okay, because my guess was going to be defer. <laughs> it's die. Mm. And this one is oh so significant for folks like you and I that have children and people coming up that we want to bless in our passing. We don't like to think about it, but we're all heading there. It's sure. going to happen. But when you die owning real estate. That real estate goes to your heirs at what's called a step-up in basis. So they get it as if they paid market value for it. In other words, you don't pay the tax throughout your life. Your estate doesn't pay the tax. Your heirs don't pay the tax. The tax disappears. Mm. There is no better way to start your children off than giving them tax-free properties right? to start doing their own thing. I actually have a family out of Greenwich, Connecticut. We're now on the third generation. Granddad started with us doing 1031s when he died. All the property went to his son. His son then started after that doing 1031 exchanges with us when it was appropriate. He passed away and his children now, their properties have appreciated again. They're doing 1031s. That's how legacy wealth yeah. is built. Very cool. I have an interesting question. So kind of the reverse of that. Let's say my primary residence that I own currently, and um, I lived, I've, I've lived in it for two years. Um, is there a way to not take an investment property and turn it into a uh, primary residence, but a primary residence into an investment property and do a 1031 exchange after it has appreciated. Do you see what, what I'm saying here? So my daughter, Absolutely. for example, 
So let's say Absolutely. we don't need the gains, you know, that the, the house is appreciated. That's fine. We could take the, the money out. That's fine too. But if we wanted to utilize it as a rental, and that's a five bed, five bath house. I don't know how it would do, but just for property sake, let's say somebody, a great family wanted to live in it and we turn it into an investment property and then they want to buy it from us. Okay, great. They buy it from us. And then now we can 1031 exchange that into a larger multifamily property or commercial property, right? Yeah. Well, that's, there's actually two great ways to do this. This is okay. awesome. Yeah. So the first way would be, and it doesn't have to be a large property at all, but let's say it's your primary residence. It's got a lot of gain in it. And you think it would be a good rental. So in order to qualify for your primary residence, you only have to have lived in it for two out of the five years prior to selling it. Okay. So you can live in it for two years and then decide to move out of it and rent it for two or three more years. When you sell it, did you live in it for two out of the previous five? Yep. So you still qualify, even though it's been a rental for three years. Yeah. Which means what? You get all the cash flow during that time. You get all the appreciation during that time. What an awesome deal. Yeah. But when you sell it, what kind of property is it? Yeah. Still primary residence. It, well, it, it qualifies for primary residence, but... Oh, yeah. It's being used as investment. Mm. So here's where that comes into play. You're obviously going to want to take the tax-free option if it's available. But let's say that property had more than $500,000 in gain. Let's say it had a million dollars in gain. Yeah. And now you're ready to sell it. Well, you're only going to get $500,000 tax-free. Can you shelter the other $500,000? You sure can. Because you can take advantage of any part of the statute you qualify for. To qualify as your primary residence, you must have lived in it for two out of the five years prior to selling it. To qualify for a 1031, it must be used as an investment property when you sell it. So you're going to sell that property at some point in time. And you're going to take your $500,000 tax-free at the sale. Go have fun. Take your wife on a cruise, do whatever you want. And you're going to do a 1031 exchange on the rest of it. Very cool. Into whatever property you want. So yeah, that's how we have a lot of people dealing with primary residences where there's more than the $500,000 game. Sure. Yeah, that is some powerful stuff, some really cool strategies to be thinking about. And especially for individuals who say, well, I don't have you know capital right now to invest um, here are strategies, two ways that we've already talked about that you can unlock some potential and get started on your real estate investing journey. Very now, cool. What I really like about that one, especially, is that you live in the financing world as well, I know. And you know full well that the differences in qualification, in down payment, and in interest rate, yeah. substantial between investment property and your primary residence. Right, right. So it is absolutely awesome to see people get their start by buying a modest single family. And maybe they rent rooms in it. Maybe they just live in it. Then they move out and convert it. And they once again use primary financing. So for as little as what, three and a half percent down, mm -hmm. you could buy these properties and build your rental portfolio. Very cool. Very cool strategies here. Really appreciate that, Dave. Now, one thing that get, gets me kind of 
you know, passionate and excited. Um, you know, we get asked a lot, I'm sure not as much as you, but, you know, all of the headlines around, you know, the 1031 exchange going away and all of these different things. Before I get your perspective on that, I do want to just kind of go through some of the benefits that Ernst & Young have uh, provided insight on to the economic activity supported by the 1031 exchanges. And, you know, it promotes job growth and labor income. Overall economic activity generated by 1031 exchanges in 2021, they found was 976,000 jobs. $48.6 billion of labor income. It contributed to the U.S. You know, GDP. You know, it was um, all these different benefits that, that Ernst & Young kind of came across. Now, I don't know if Ian W were, you know, uh, who hired them to do the, the study, so I don't know the validity of the study. But the matter of the fact is, you know, these 1031 exchanges are not just large corporations or wealthy private equity funds doing 1031 exchanges. And I think that that is why it has, it is one of the oldest, you know, codes in the tax law, but also is such a benefit to our economy because you take that away, right? You take the 1031 exchange, transaction volume drops um, substantially, but then you also take away the ability for regular investors, like we've just mentioned, their ability to continue to invest in themselves and build wealth over the long haul. And I think that's probably one of the reasons that, you know, it's st stuck around so long. Um, but just wanted to get your perspective on some of uh, some of that, because the headlines, it seems like every election period, it, it comes up and there it is. And, you know, we have these conversations um, but the actual economic impact is huge in, in the I think I asked you one time what the average transaction size was for 1031 exchanges and the number just, you know, blew my mind. It was not as big as I, I thought it yeah. would be. So, yeah, just wanted yeah. to, to ask you about that real quick. Yeah, the average transaction is less than four hundred thousand dollars. Yeah, this is not fat cat America. Right. Um, and I, I get it. You know, every I'm a, it, well, it was Gideon Tucker famous attorney that said, no one's personal property or liberties are safe while Congress is in session. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't matter whether it's red or blue. The best thing we can have going in America right now is a split Congress. Sure. <laughs> they're going to be so busy fighting, they're not going to do anything. Leave us alone. Right. But because what, what's really interesting, I mean, you said a whole lot. And the history of 1031 when it was started was to aid farmers. We were coming out of the agricultural age into industrial and there was a consolidation. Our nation was hungry yeah, and it needed to be fed. But the problem was that if farmers sold their, remember the Homestead Act? Yeah. 160 acres. If they sold their quarter sections to go buy a bigger farmer ranch, the taxes they would have to pay would not leave them with enough money to buy the next farm. Right. It was problematic. And without them being able to buy the next farm, how was anybody else ever going to get into farming? Sure. So Congress saw that and put 1031 into the tax code. Yeah. Well, it evolved over time into this thing now where for everyday investors, but the same principle is true. That person that buys a $200,000 property and holds on to it till it's worth four and then does a 1031 exchange is not only providing housing for a lot of America, mm -hmm. they're allowing a younger investor 
to come in and buy their next starter property. And Ernst and Young, I thought, did a wonderful job. I, man, uh, I couldn't have begun to quantify all of that the way they did. But when you just stop and think about it, it makes so much sense. The low hanging fruit is to think that the Hiltons and the Rockefellers are doing these. <laughs> let's get let's get their capital gains tax money. Right. Well, capital gains tax is 15 or 20%. By eliminating 1031, which is what they wanted to do. By the way, it's not just a Democrat thing. Every president I've been under has toyed with the idea. Mm-hmm. They just all come to their senses when they see this. Right. So you're going to take away capital gains tax at 15 or 20%. But you're not going to get the regular income tax from two title companies selling to buy, from two realtors selling to buy, from two painters getting the houses ready, from two title policies. It makes sense, doesn't it? The multiple factor of what they lose if they get rid of 1031 is always what has made them go, oh, yeah, I understand now. Yeah. So the, the Senate about Two, three years ago, it was after Biden was elected, so it's been the last two years, the Senate voted unanimously in their response to the House's budget to not touch 1031 exchanges. Right. Specific vote. Okay, done. End of story. It went out of the Congress budget. It's not even being... There's always wonks up there talking about it. Mm -hmm. But I think as long as there's people seeing how it really is, you know, it'll, uh, it's still going to be around. Yeah. 97.4 billion is the number on GDP in 2021. And I imagine it's probably larger than that uh, because how do you capture the construction, the leasing activity, all of the different of that? I mean, it's just, it's enormous uh, in size. So great, great uh, perspective there. And really well said. Um, Want to talk to you about some predictions just because uh, you've been in this industry for a long time. And, um, you know, I think a lot of people are thinking about, well, what does 2023 look like and recession and all these different components, right? We have high inflation, interest rates are rising, all these different things. But any trends that you are seeing just in the commercial real estate or just the real estate world in general right now that uh, might come true in 2023 or things that you're thinking about? Wow, that's a really open-ended question. How much time oh, yeah. do we have? Yeah. <laughs> Um, you know, anybody who says, and I know this because I've gone through it twice and I've believed it twice, anybody who says the landscape has changed, it's never going to be the same again, is wrong. Mm. Real estate and life follow cycles. Yeah. They follow cycles up, they follow cycles down. Now, what triggers those is that's where you've got to dig in. Sure. Because that's going to tell you the severity and it's going to tell you the impact and it's going to tell you the recovery time. Mm. but everybody here's my encouragement Um, after going through the dark days of 2008 I and several of my investors lost over 80% of our net worth like overnight Yeah. but every one of us that never had to sell did not end up losing a penny because we didn't sell. Right. That's the beauty of the 1031 investor is when you need to put the brakes on and watch your leverage. Mm-hmm. Because that's what's going to save you. It does, you know, I could be, I could say I'm worth 10, $10 million. And the next day, that's down to a million. 
sure. or minus a million. But as long as I hold on to those properties, every one of those guys in 2014 are worth multiple millions more Yeah, because they never had to sell. So what I like about this market is that it is much more gentle. So there's a learning curve that if people will pay attention to it, is not going to hurt them too bad. And what you've got to pay attention to is the numbers have to make sense. Right. And I get it. There's a poison pill with 1031 investing because the best time to start a 1031 exchange is in a seller's market when you sell. Mm-hmm. But the worst time to complete a 1031 exchange, it's a seller's market right? because you're having to buy high. So trying to manage and know where your numbers are to say, Okay, I want to sell because I can get top dollar, but I'm a good negotiator or I'm looking at an area where there's a divergence between rents and pricing, a little market inequity. I can find those things or I can find maybe cheaper money somewhere privately. I think the rise of the 401k lender is a game changer Mm. because your typical lending out there now, yeah, it's pretty high, but hey, I bought a house at 13%. Back in 1980 something. So six or seven doesn't scare me. Sure. But the numbers have to make sense. Yeah. So I think that have they topped out? Yeah, that depends on which feed news feed you're listening to. I don't have a clue. Yeah. But I think they're going to be cautious. And I think as long as we're doing good stress testing, there's still going to be plenty of opportunities to buy. And I think that's really true of every investor. A true real estate investor never stops buying. Mm-hmm. They just become more patient. Sure. Yeah. That's good. Good, good advice and, and well said. And um, I have some mentors that just said, Logan, stay in the game, you know, just stay in the game, you know, just keep on buying good assets that cash flow. So awesome. You've dropped some knowledge bombs from the brain plane today. Dave, I really appreciate that. One of my favorite questions, though, like a guy like you, I know is hustling. You're providing incredible customer service to your investors. You've got referrals coming in left and right. What inspires you? You know, why do you do what you do in, at, at such a high level on a regular basis? You know, there was a there was a shift in my thinking several years ago when I was doing a little premature early retirement, looking back on my life. And I watched the impact that being able to live on our terms had made on our family. My boys think of themselves as boat kids. They're known throughout the Caribbean as the Foster Cookie Association. We've had experiences and we haven't done them being super wealthy. Right. You know, at our peak, and this is, I do want to give this encouragement to your folks. We managed to move on to a boat, to live on a tax free on six properties. We didn't take a million. Mm-hmm. It didn't take a hundred property complex. Sure. It's knowing what you need and then making the move to do it. And But looking back at all that, I realized it's like, you know what? We've been given an incredible gift. And if I can help people do that same thing, that's going to be a life well lived for me. Yeah. That's, so awesome. that's kind of our attitude that we're a family business. Uh, my wife is my chief marketing officer. I have an economist son who's with me in the business. And we do it because we love people. We love 1031. Yeah. Awesome. Well, where can people find more about you and what you do, Dave? Where can you point people to? 
the1031investor.com. Great. Easiest way to do it. Everything that we talked about today and all kinds more, we have in a 32-part YouTube series. Mm. So you can go there, check those things out, contact us. Let us help you out with the 1031. We love to live in the strategy world, which means get a hold of us sooner rather than later. Yeah. Let us help you plan so that you're ready. Beautiful. Awesome. Well, there are so many facets that we didn't even uncover today. Construction exchanges, reverse exchanges, so many different things to be thinking about. The 1031investor.com will be linked in the show notes. Please go find it. Reach out to Dave and his team and his family. Um, they are just a wealth of knowledge. Check out the YouTube videos. Dave, anything that uh, you wanted to speak about that we didn't get to cover? Well, I tell you what, I was just going to say, I'll make a deal with you. Uh, I've got a book that's 60 days out. There we go. So as soon as it hits, I'll come back and we'll talk about some more of those. I love it. More exotic kind of exchanges. How's that sound? Fantastic. I'm very excited about that, Dave. Thank you so much for your time, for your insights. I found this valuable. I know our listeners are going to. Thank you for tuning in to Invest for the Win. If you found this episode valuable, please take a moment to share it with a friend you think could benefit from the insights of our experts. Also, don't forget to take a moment to leave us a rating and review. Visit investforthewin.com to learn more.